Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Squid and the Ultimate Leaf Fan Podcast, brought to you by the Hockey News. With over 2 million dedicated readers, the Hockey News is the authoritative source of hockey and the number one hockey publication in North America. With an ever-growing podcast network and video database on top of an already established print and digital brand, the Hockey News is there to cover all the major hockey stories from around the world. Visit THN.com deal to get the best value on a subscription to the Hockey News. I'm Mike Wilson, the Ultimate Leafs fan, and joining me as usual, my co-host, former 50-goal scorer, Rick Squid Vibe. How's things, Squid? Things are fantastic. I could, they couldn't be better. It's uh, today, anyway. Yesterday was a not a great day uh, with the passing of uh, one of my good friends, Dale Howard Chuck, and one of my old teammates, roommates, and uh, neighbor. So. That was a little tough, but uh, things are a little bit better today. Yeah, so I mean, I, I know you guys played together in Buffalo. It's very tough for everybody. Um, have you got a special moment you can share with us that, uh, you know, that involved Dale and yourself? Or maybe not you, but just with Dale. Well, I mean, he was my roommate, and uh, we lived about four houses apart. Our kids played together in the cul-de-sac. It was wonderful. Dale, Dale was a very calming had a calming uh, way about him. And I remember uh, we went to San Jose. It was my last year in Buffalo. And uh, of course we had a rookie dinner, which uh, instead of hazing or initiation, uh, it was a rookie dinner, but we only had five rookies or four rookies. And we're all at one big long table. And uh, the guys are getting a little out of hand and they're starting to order Dom Perignon and everything. And I, Ducky Dale was sitting to my right, and I said, Dale, I said, like, look what these guys are ordering. I said, this is kind of crazy. He just stood up very nonchalantly and, and quietly and just said, guys, you know, we only have four or five rookies. They're not making a lot of money. Uh, I would appreciate it very much, all of us, if you would cut back on what you're ordering as far as price-wise. And then all the guys just looked they all nodded. Yep. Okay. No problem, Dale. And so that was the way he was. He, he didn't have to yell or scream or anything when he stood up and he just said something like that. And it was, like I say, it was very calm, direct, and uh, all the players appreciated it. And, uh, and obviously he had a lot of respect for Dale and therefore uh, it stopped. So that was one of the things I remember about him is that he, he was very good at being a very calming influence on, on the players. Well, that's, I mean, that, that's a great story. I mean, that just goes, shows you the respect that he commanded or he, he, he gained in the dressing room yeah. with the players. And that says a lot about a guy's character right there. So that's, yeah. you know, he certainly touched a lot of lives, both inside the rink and away from the rink. Uh, and that, that's the real sign of a good man. And uh, he's certainly going to be missed. He certainly will. And he'll be missed dearly by the Barry Colts, who I think he did a fantastic job there. Developing players, Svetsikov, Shifley, I mean, the list goes on of, of the players that played for him and went on to play in the NHL. He was a big part of teaching those guys what they needed to do to get to the National Hockey League and, and to stay there. And, uh, you know, a lot of gratitude to him for, for really – you know, bringing those players along so that they could be good NHL players. 
So the section of the Leafs continues, and I think I've seen in social media, every player has been moved, which we're going to touch on next with our couple of our guests that were actually teammates of my co-host, Mr. Ricky Vive. We've got today joining us Danny Dew and Tommy Fergus. How's it going, boys? Very good, thank you. Very good. Great to hear. Now listen, um, as follow, I mean, you know, it's, it's the elephant in the room all the time as Maple Leaf fans now, you know, guys sitting watching this, and I see you guys down at the alumni box a lot. As followers of the team, can you guys offer some views on what the Leafs have to do next for this group to get to the next level? Let's start with you, Danny. Uh, <laughs> sure. It's put a tough a question. Spot. Put us on the spot right away. <laughs> yeah, no <laughs> kidding. I'm not going for a job. Uh, well, I mean, I mean, I think everybody says it. Everybody sees it in the in, in the papers or in radio stations, whatever. Uh, that they got to get rid. They, they need some defense. There's no question about it. Uh, where do you get those defenses? Uh, you know, it, it's not going to be easy. Uh, but they need to start there. I think. Yeah, they didn't score any goals. They lost two nothing. I think in three nothing the one game or whatever it was. But uh, you need to score goals. And when you're paying somebody forty-four million dollars and four guys, I mean somebody's going to step up at some point and score some goals. Uh, you know, there, there's talk about the goaltender maybe getting rid of him. I mean, at the end of the day, if you're not going to score one or two goals for him, it's pretty tough for him uh, to to keep pucks out every night. So, uh, I think the D part. I think we got to start there. Uh, who are you going to get? Who knows? I mean, again, people have talked about Peter Angelo, uh, but he's not going to come cheap. He's going to come $8 million unless he wants to give a discount. Nobody seems to want to give you a discount anymore. So we'll see what happens. Tommy? Well, I agree with it. I don't like to blame the goaltending. I think he stops a lot of pucks. Maybe he shouldn't. Everyone lets in a bad one every now and then. Their defense, I, I don't think they're up to snuff. I just don't think they're good enough in their own end. And that could be a combination of the forwards not helping out in the defensive end. As far as the forward lineup, I don't like the four-line combinations. They have great players. They don't have enough grinders. I don't think you can win the cup without a good bunch of grinders that can punish themselves through four, four rounds of playoffs. I just – they have great players but they just don't have a great team. Squid, do you want to add something to that? Well, we talked about it, Mike, you today. And, and, uh, you know, and I, I, I totally agree that, that, you know, they got to shore up their defense. There's no question. And, you know, for the sake of maybe having to move two, maybe three of their top six or seven supposed players, um, I still think they would have enough firepower, but if they loaded up the third and fourth lines with more, like Tom said, uh, guy, a third line, first of all, that can shut down another team's top line, and then, you know, a fourth line, energy line, and they, they need to do that. And then their top two lines are, are, you know, they would still have two great offensive lines. And, you know, but defense first, and uh, again, like, Tom said for uh, Anderson. I mean, I don't like to blame him either. I mean, yeah, let a bad goal in and in the last game, but what goaltender doesn't, you know, at some point, and especially when you're getting peppered with 40 some shots most nights, um, the, the law of averages are that a bad one's going to go in. Well, you know, the, the thing about it is that there's a lot of trades being thrown around out there. And one of the names that keeps bouncing coming out of Edmonton, who's been under extreme pressure, obviously being traded for Taylor Hall, is Adam Larson. 
on that. And he comes back, he's making $4.1 million. Uh, he's a unrestricted free agent at the end of 2021. So he's the type of guy that could fit the bill and you're going to give something up. But that's almost like putting the finger in the dam because the real issue is we know the imbalances between the defense and the forwards. And I mean, again, let me throw this at you guys. Here's a loaded question for you. I mean, making moves like that are great. But if you want to go after some of the prime candidates that are out there, like a Petrangelo or a Corey Krug, that would just absolutely take the Leafs defense to the next level, they've got to make a move that's almost unheard of to get to that level. And that means moving one of the unthinkables, somebody like a Mitch Marner. Can any of you guys see that happening? Let's start with you, uh, Tommy. I don't – I'm a Corey Krug fan, but I'm a fan because he's on the Boston Bruins. Yes, okay. I've seen so many guys move off there or move on there, and their careers have taken t- uh, different paths. The Bruins are a good organization for someone like Corey. I think he'd make a big mistake if he leaves. Okay. I wouldn't – I don't think at this time I'd give up on a Mitch Marner, Austin Matthews, but I think everyone else on the team is is – touchable you could trade them if you can get the right guys because they've got to readjust the team to be more of a bigger stronger team i think we'll get enough goals but we got to keep them out of our net too danny yeah i'm the same but i mean i i mean it's too early to get rid of those guys i mean with Tavares, i'll put Tavares in there being untouchables right now i would think those three guys would be the guys. Uh, I don't know if you get rid of a Morgan Riley. You need him a defenseman. You get he's got to stick around. But I mean, I mean, Nylander's always been the talk of him going. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and you know, I, I mean, maybe uh, with an Anderson making five million next year, is it? And then after that, if he comes as a free agent, he's not going to want two million. He's going to want more. Or even as per se, do you, do you get rid of an Anderson and give a Jack Campbell? A shot. I mean, Campbell, when he came over from L.A., I think it was 10, 14, and 6. Those are just numbers I thought I saw somewhere. Uh, uh, and he was like 2.83 goals against average with a 9.17 save percentage just around those numbers. So why not give somebody like him a chance who played some games and played some good games? And then with money you save, let's say you do get rid of a Nylander, uh, uh, mm-hmm. an Anderson, if you can save enough money. I mean, CeCe's doesn't look like he's coming back. It doesn't look like... Uh, Barry. Uh, Barry's Barry. coming back. So, I mean, you should have enough money. I mean, being Campbell, I think he's under contract for what, 1.5 or $2 million, yeah. I think is what it is. So that's cheap that you might be able to make some move. Uh, uh, you know, if, if they're talking about Peter Angelo, I mean, if they do lose out to, to Vancouver, I mean, that could be, you know, he could be saying, hey, you know what, I'm 30 years old. Maybe I go back home. Uh, you know, maybe it's something I do. Uh, but a lot of people all about St. Louis, they always say they love being in St. Louis. They always want to stay there. So who knows what can happen there? Uh, you know, Nashville. Nashville has a good team over there, but never seems to uh, get anywhere. So do you go get that, uh, what's that defenseman, Roman or? Ro- Josie. Yeah. Wow. Roman Josie. You know, you go get some. You know what I mean? At the end of the day, you go get somebody like him. I mean, you need we need a top-notch defenseman. I understand that Riley might be a, a good defenseman, and uh, but otherwise, after him, I mean, you got Muzzin, but Muzzin's going to be, uh, you know, he may play against your with Hall next year, get your top lines on the other side all the time, but he, 
he's not a guy you're looking for like some of the other guys. You'll you know, throw in a goal here and there, but he came in, he played the power play, but now he's not playing the power play anymore. Uh, so basically he's just a defensive defenseman at this point in time. So you need somebody uh, of that caliber, Peter Angelo, uh, Yossi, or that type of defenseman to come over here somehow. But you're going to be, those are elite defensemen. And, you know, and those guys are really hard to find. And, you know, with Toronto, don't forget, they're going to be losing some players themselves this year. And they're knocked up against the cap. And the problem against, they're always going to be knocked against the cap as any of the winning teams are. But Tavares has a no-trade contract, so he's not going anywhere. Austin Matthews isn't going anywhere. And outside of that, as Tommy mentioned, I think anybody in the roster is pretty much up for grabs. So that where, that's where it comes down to the tough decision because they need money. And Nylander is the first one. He seems to always get picked on, but that is 31 goals you're giving up. But isn't and, that, you know, the, the, we also have to, when they make the trades, I think they've got to alter the team. Oh, no like question. You've got to make trades. You can't just bring in, I mean, I, I'm all for small and, and all these guys can play well in the league. But I find like St. Louis winning the cup last year, they sort of grinded a lot of their way through those players. They had some good players, but they were they had some big D some top forwards that just grinded it out and came up with wins. Well, you know, and it's, well, it's one you, of those things. I think that, if you look right. at, well, Go ahead, Mike, you look at, you look at all the teams that win the Stanley Cup. They're all built that way. You know, yeah, they got some good players. They got some little guys that can play and they got guys that can put up offense. But by and large, they have their, their makeup of their, their third and fourth lines and, and most of the teams, their defense, at least half of their defense, are big, strong, uh, grinding type guys that – because don't forget, you've got to go you, – you first of all, you got to make the playoffs, and that's another thing. If they lose C.C. Barry and, you know, whatever, you know, who, know what, who knows what's going to happen next year. But once you get there, you got to go through four grueling rounds uh, to win the Stanley Cup. And – if you look at the teams that have won it, they've all had those ingredients. Uh, and and I, I agree with Tom I, I wholeheartedly. I mean, St. Louis last year had a big, strong team. They punished other teams uh, physically, but they also had some good players that could, could score some goals. And their goaltending was excellent as well. So uh, it's a combination of everything. And, I mean – Obviously, Toronto in a situation like that, if they're going to shore up their blue line and their third and fourth lines, more grinding type lines, they're going to have to move some big names and uh, and move a lot of money as well. And that's well, that's the elephant in the room, and that's where why sixteen is the number. At some point, who knows if you want to get to that level, something drastic is going to have to happen. No question. So we will watch with that with great interest. And as I said to you last week, boys, I told uh, Squid that if um, uh, Cal Dubas is listening to us, he won't be in his job very long and he can come and join this podcast if he doesn't have his own ideas. And we had an actual name for it, Squid Doobie and the Ultimate Leafs fan. So he, he has a new job if he starts listening to us. Now, let's get to a couple other pressing things here. Danny, let's... Let's go back to the beginning here. A couple of you guys go way back, you and Tommy, a lot of connections. You played three years in Cornwall, winning a Memorial Cup. First off, just take us through that year. And I mean, yeah, I may want to pick up on that. You also played with a guy and, you know, let, let's maybe get this out of the way first off. I, I'm sure you want to make a tribute to Dale Howard-Chuck, who you played with. And the two of you are almost neck and neck in scoring the year you played together and won a cup. Yeah, you know, Dale was, uh, again, us playing in the Quebec League, uh, here's a star from uh, 
uh, from Toronto uh, coming to Cornwall, which is probably unbelievable that we got him just the way things worked out. But, uh, uh, you know, here comes a 16-year-old little skinny kid coming from Oshawa uh, to play on our team. But, you know, you heard so many good things about him. Uh, he came, you know, very quiet, was very quiet. Uh, but uh, as we all know, a great hockey player. I mean, you know, and then I, you know, and I played only one year with him because I was gone after the 79-80 season. He played one more year in Cornwall, then went to Winnipeg. And we all know where that led for him in his career. And I got to play against him. Uh, along the way, you know, but uh, and in the summer times playing golf tournaments, he was, he was just a, uh, a a great player on ice and a great person off the ice. I always had time for everybody. Uh, never had anything bad to say, so it's it's sad to see uh, you know a friend uh, leave us at uh, 57 years old for sure. Now that cup that you guys won together in '79. Tommy, you were involved in that on the other side, and it was a little bit controversial that, uh, so maybe you want to, you, you, let's, get the, let's get the Peterborough angle on that and maybe rehash kind of what happened from your side. Well, uh, you know, it's one of those years I don't think the best team won, but, you know. You can be right, but we won. <laughs> see, I'm, always, I'm always happy to be around Do, and I get to see his ring all the time. It's really nice to look at. I didn't put it, I didn't wear it just so I didn't want to show it here, but <laughs> I will look for something else, though. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, if you go back to the, that time, they did have that young... Howard Chuck and do they had a good team. We were uh, we were a big if you think of a team that we had no super while well, we had Larry Murphy, but the other our first line was just a, a very good line and we had four lines that everybody just chipped in and we uh, I actually think if the record shows London a year ago is the only team that had more wins in a row in the playoffs than we had, but you know it, stuff happens. They said we were, I think our interest in one of the games was very low. No question about it. Again, someone asked me if I threw the game. I said, well, I only had eight goals in 63 games. You think I was good enough to throw the Memorial Cup? But I don't, I think that's all talk. I, did we play our best game? No. Were we playing another team that was pretty good? Yes. So, I mean, it's, again, then my only regret is the best team didn't win it. <laughs> well, you know, and when we come when we come to saying that, I, I don't know, I, I don't know what this looks like. I don't know if everybody can see it. You know, I can see it. Memorial <laughs> Cup ring, and I don't. Oh, I forgot to show this picture too. I don't know. I get a Memorial Cup there, holding it. <laughs> I guess we got someone living in the past there. Oh, he's got them handy. But you know, at the end of the day, we you know we had uh, again like the three teams that were there. I think the the, the giant team probably was supposed to be. Regina, uh, they were kind of sleeping at the wheel. They kind of woke up three quarters into it. Uh, for our team, I mean, we had Mark Crawford, we had Fred Arthur, we had Scotty Arneo, you, 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 know, uh, you got Dale, you, uh, you know, we, Ron Scott was our goaltender. So we had some decent players. We weren't expected to win. I mean, when we went into Sherbrooke, which is Ricky's, uh, you know, ultimate uh, junior, Sherbrooke Beavers, we won the first game, 5-4. We went there and we won the first game. The next two times we went in there, we lost 13-2 and 11-1. And I think the ice bags were on our heads, and we came out of there. I mean, we were so damaged. I don't even know how we went back home and were able to play. And the only reason why we probably won those games 
is because the referees wouldn't have got out alive out of Cornwall if they didn't ref the right way. I mean, there was no penalties call against Sherbrooke over there. <laughs> Nothing. I mean, it was just chaos when we played them. But, you know, we got lucky and won the three, the, the three games we needed to win at home after we beat them the first game. There. But we did have a good team. Uh, I mean, so did Peterborough. Were we supposed to win? You know, at the end of the day, uh, toss it up in the air. Our team was good enough to win. Maybe the other teams were better than us. But at the end of the day, you know, we were the victors, right? Well, dude, well the only dude, thing. back then, dude, back then, the Quebec League team was always the underdog at the Memorial Cup. I mean, I went there in, I don't know what it was, 76 or 77, 78. And everybody just counted us out. You had the Ottawa 67s and New Westminster. And they, they were great teams, but we had a decent team too. But I just thought that every Memorial Cup Quebec League team was always at the bottom and the other teams were supposed to win and the Quebec League team wasn't supposed to win. Well, you know what? Um, they can say all they want there, Danny, but you know what? They only gave out how many rings? 20? Yeah, about that. Oh, yeah. Does that mean you're on his side? All they want. Just flash <laughs> the finger. So now, all three of you guys were drafted by the, by the Leafs, but you ended up traded here. And all three of you didn't finish your careers in Toronto, but elsewhere. So let's start off with you, Danny, while you got the, I see your face on the screen here. So let's go with you. What was it? Like, and, and I guess to add, add to this even more, to make, give you a little bit more juice on this, now, Squid, you came from the WHA, then you went to Vancouver, but Vancouver was only a league for 10 years, roughly, at that time. So they really didn't have kind of the history and tradition, whereas you two guys came from original six teams, Montreal and Boston. Talk about kind of some of the differences you saw coming in from Montreal to Toronto when you ended up here. Well, I mean, you, you go from uh, Montreal, which is their, you know, they had just won. Like, I mean, I played in the minors for two years, but they had just won, what, 76 to 80. They won four Stanley Cups. And then I came in and went down to Nova Scotia for two years. And then my third year, I made a team. So what you got to look, and I'll go back, but getting traded here to Toronto, that feeling just wasn't the same. It was, you know, when you go in, it was like a losing attitude when you came to Toronto. Montreal was not like that. I mean, Montreal, everybody's on a high pedestal. Uh, the team's doing so well. I mean, you're walking around with Gila Fleur, Larry Robinson, Gila Points, Team Shut. I mean, those are the guys that I was, yeah. you know, went to training camp with. That's how the guys I made the team with until they traded me to Toronto. And then when you come here to Toronto, well, you know, it's a, you can see the difference, the way that, teams acted the way the teams practice and stuff like that but I mean for me it was a chance I mean uh, they had six centers in Montreal I wasn't going to take Wickenheisen's place uh, Mondu, Acton you know uh, those guys I mean uh, and to beat uh, Guy Carbino who was a second round pick I signed as a free agent with Montreal he's a second round pick you know getting 185 points uh, which scooted me that last year so I still look in the books as, as what was done is as we're going to start Dan and when it falters, then we're going to put D in and then whatever took place. I never played. I played the first three games. And after that, I didn't play till I think it was November 22nd uh, in uh, St. Louis because somebody was sick. And then they traded me December 17th to Toronto. So there's a big difference of the, the attitudes uh, from Montreal to Toronto. Tommy? That's funny. That, that's the exact word I was going to use. When I came, when I went to Boston, Losing wasn't even on the, I don't think I ever heard the word. If we lost two 
even three games in a row, Harry would come down, and I'll tell you, that room was dead quiet. He was fuming, and he wasn't, he wasn't taking losing. It was just as simple as that. And for four years, I think we were amongst the top at least five or six teams in the league when I was there. Little money issues and that, and I get traded to Toronto. But I also irritated Harry, so he traded me to a lower place team. I, I spoke well, to you. Also, you got to follow up on that. How'd you irritate him? <laughs> yeah, like I, I'm not surprised. <laughs> so um, through, can story. we get back to that one? Yeah, <laughs> no, get back. I to I, well, we I had negotiation deals in my, and he didn't want. He was a, he still is probably wherever he is the cheapest guy ever. So, but when I got traded. I was, I live in Ontario, but I grew up in Montreal. So I didn't have the affection for the Leafs at the time that I did for the Bruins because I grew up loving the Bruins. And I grew up and I lived in Montreal. Montreal just won too much back in those days. But the biggest thing I saw when I came here, and I think if I'm not mistaken, we were 0-8 and got a tie in Detroit. Wow. I was shocked at just at how the GM and everybody acted to not winning in eight games. So it was like, it was almost like, well, what have I done here? To, you know, maybe the odd time I should shut my mouth. But <laughs> playing in Toronto was a lot of fun. They just had a different, fully different atmosphere. And that's why I say uh, Krug wants all this money. He goes out of Boston and he goes to the wrong team. He'll know what it's like that a little less money to stay in Boston's not a bad idea because Boston just has that attitude. They skate around to this day like they own the ring. You know, like and that's what we lacked in Toronto. We just, but from management down, didn't permeate that sort of attitude. Yeah. yeah. Well, so let me ask that's you this. what I was going to say, guys, is like when we were there, uh, management like I can remember actually I don't know how many players Gary Nyland and uh, Jimmy Benning and Boimstruck and I mean the list goes on uh, Russ Courtnell uh, several other guys that were brought in I think way too early and and I think that was Jerry putting pressure on himself you know saying I, we got to get these guys in here and you know Jimmy Benning was physically and mentally like a 16 year old uh, Gary Nyland was probably physically ready to play, but mentally he wasn't. And so is it fair to say that, you know, we, we drafted good players, we had good players, but management didn't pull the right strings. We didn't, we didn't have a whole lot of great coaches either during that time. And uh, I thought we had pretty good teams and pretty good players. And uh, it, with the right management and the right coaching, I think we could have been a whole lot better. Maybe not Stanley Cup winners, but we could have been a lot better team. And I, so and that's the culture, exactly the culture. That's exactly what I tell people. If you look at the lineups we had, we had really good teams. The direction was never there. We didn't even use guys at what they were good at. We just sort of, and again, coaching was. I think an issue too, but you know, who's, I mean, the coach would probably say us players were an issue, but we did have some good players in those days. We no question about it. You look up the lineups. We had some tough guys. We had some grinding checkers. We had some goals. We did have everything, but nobody ever put it together to say, okay, this is how we're going to play. Well, I, 
You know, the funny part about it is I, that was one of the questions I was going to ask you guys is that do you ever reflect back? Because Rick and I have talked about this a number of times about some of the players being brought along too quickly, the young guys, and you guys sitting watching this, and the players know when they watch, and they know whether a guy's ready, whether he's maturely ready, whether he's skill ready, or he's ready or emotionally ready. You guys know. And you know, so let me jump in on that. It's, it, it's an interesting point because I went to the Bruins as an underage, yep. and I hadn't even scored 10 goals in junior. But the, when I played my second year and went in, I was definitely, I was two years out of junior D hockey. But as I came in, the older guys, because they had come along, like Ray Bork, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think he was captain of the Boston Bruins until he was in his like 10th year. So they had older guys that really looked after the younger guys. Because it really, was I ready at 18 to play? Probably not. But because they had such a, a core of guys and the way those core guys were taught how to do it, it made it easier on me. Toronto, they rammed in probably, what they do one year, four or five D. They never played a game in the NHL. They're on the D of one of the yeah. highest viewed teams in the league. It, it just... So, so as walking into Boston as, as a, you know, coming out of there as an 18-year-old, what was it like your first camp? Like, you're obviously very nervous, but you just touched on that a lot of the veterans helped you. And you mentioned Ray Bork. Did it, did, because in those days, a lot of the old guys... They weren't as quite as accommodating as they are, say, today with the young guys coming in. And you know, I, I, you know, I went, I went actually to camp. I was the start of the underage, I believe, or the second year. So I went to camp after scoring eight goals. I thought, why not? And I'll tell you, the older guys, and I was drafted third, uh, third round, so it wasn't like I was an early pick. And they always treated you good there. I have nothing but fond memories of Boston and those older guys. The older guys, Wayne Cashman, O'Reilly, Don Marcotte, they all treated you well. And they had to know that these young punks are coming up to take my job. It's just the way they, they, they just had a great system there of helping the younger guys. I'm glad I started there. Uh, it was the same thing. It was the same thing when the, uh, out of Montreal. I mean, when I got traded, we were in Calgary on a road trip. And you know what? I mean, uh, yeah, I made the team that year, but I wasn't playing much, but you know, the first, I forget who it was. I think it was Larry or it might have been Gita Points. And uh, when I got traded, basically it was, okay, we're going out to dinner. You're coming out with us. You know, I, well, I've got a plane to catch. You know, and that, you can catch it tomorrow is what they said. And I missed the game, I think, when we played Chicago at home when I first got here. But it was like, no, we're going out to dinner. You know, like uh, you just got traded and the whole bit. And uh, that's how they were. Like, same thing with Boston. I mean, Montreal was an older team with all the old guys. And, and they were all... That's what they said to Gaston, Jingle, we've been there for a while. And myself, now we're going out to dinner and we're, you know, that's, that's the way it goes. So I think the same boat as Montreal and Boston. We're all, when we got to Toronto, yeah, I mean, we had, it wasn't that we had a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of cups won in the last six, seven years or a lot much older guys there. I mean, they all traded the, you know, the Wilfs and the Lannies and everybody else were gone. I mean, I don't know if Boria was the oldest guy that was there. After that, I think maybe, I don't know, Rick, I don't know how old you were at the time, but uh, in 82, how old were you? 24? 23. 23. Yeah, so, and I mean, you know, we, we weren't very, we safe, were young, right? We were young. Yeah. And it's safe to say that, you know, with the whole Harold Ballard and Jerry McNamara as a general manager and 
you know, we weren't, we weren't in a position, of course, you know, punch dissembling all the older guys, getting rid of all the older players and bringing a lot of young people in. And it was very difficult for us uh, as young guys to kind of, you know, be those mentors and everything. And the culture was terrible when, when we all got there. Uh, and mainly because of Harold and, and, of course, Jerry making some of the moves that he made. But um, I just thought that uh, there was bad things done by management that hampered us from having a better culture and uh, being a better hockey team. And, it, and it's all about culture. It, it, that's exactly what it is. Like you, Danny talked about it. You talked about it in Boston, Montreal. That's the way it is. You come in. You don't expect to lose. Losing is not even a word around those organizations. And, and that's been like that for forever. In Toronto, it was pretty good in the 70s. And then all of a sudden, things just turned like that. And uh, everything kind of went downhill after that. Well, you know, the funny part about it is, I mean, I was going to ask you, Tommy, um, but we'll get to that maybe in a second. I mean, growing up, obviously, you guys are aware of, even though if you weren't a fan of Maple Leafs, the aura of Maple Leaf Gardens, the Toronto Maple Leafs, the history of the Canadians, and so on. And everybody, everybody in hockey is aware of that. But uh, you guys, I mean, I got to ask you guys, this is for all three of you. Did you wake up some mornings just like once you got inside the bubble of this hockey team, and especially coming from Boston and Montreal, you know, with winning proud traditions they had and the way that the, the atmosphere of the team was, and the clown show that was going on in Toronto on a daily basis, you, you just wake up mornings thinking, what's this going to be today, Tommy? <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah, we did. <laughs> I mean, there were some good stories about how some of the coaching was changed. It was, for myself, it was very tough because even if there were times you wanted to move, I already asked to be moved out of Boston. So you wanted things, and then every time we hired or brought in a new guy, you thought it would be different. But it just seemed to, I think it starts at the top. It's no, no different than a big corporation. If it's run well at the top, you bring in, because I have no question that we had a lot of talent. I don't think we used it as effectively as probably we had all hoped. I think guys on another team would have had different careers. But Toronto was a great place to play. I mean, I, I enjoyed playing here 100%. I just wish the, some of the things changed and, and we had better years. I mean, you don't like to look back and say, oh, you struggled in the 80s. You like to say we had great teams. We won. You know, we didn't win the cup. But, hey, a lot of teams never win the cup that have good teams. Well, you know, Danny, what about you? I mean, just this, I mean, all the whole circus of ownership and what was going, I mean, think about the proud tradition of this hockey club and then you guys are living this and you're just shaking your heads thinking, what is this? Like, what's going on here? Yeah, I, I, I mean, as a 22-year-old, you're just full of piss and vinegar, basically, and you want to, you just want to play hockey. So when you get do get traded, yeah, at first, because I, I'm from Montreal and my team's in Montreal Canadians and you know, it's almost like I had a few tears in my eyes when I got, I, I got the call from Bob Barry to go in his office and kind of say, uh, uh, well, you've been traded. Oh, okay, what do I do now? Type thing. You're 22 years old. So when you come to Toronto, yeah, they were losing. And when we first got here, I think we I missed the, like the Saturday game against Chicago. And then I think we went on a road trip to Chicago and St. Louis. Uh, we lost both those games. I think it was a, a high score in Chicago and a, not as bad. So it's kind of, okay. 
you know, but it seemed like as we went along, then we started winning some hockey games and the team started to get better. And a guy named Rick Vives started scoring goals because I think he had 12 goals on December 17th. So he started scoring some goals. And once he started scoring goals and the team started to go, we started winning games. And that year we made the playoffs. Uh, so, yeah, at first, I don't think I had – Tommy came in at a different time. I don't think I had uh, enough time to see what kind of a clown act we had uh, as later on in the years. Uh, because when I came in, like I said, you just want to play. You want to do the best you can. You're giving an opportunity. You're playing on the top line. So you go out there and do whatever you can. And then after losing a few games, oh, it's still not the end of the world. You know, like we can make this ship turn around. And all of a sudden we start winning and we start winning and we're winning more games and teams playing well, you know, and uh, they called up a few guys from the minors, guys, older guys, like Dave, Dave Farish was called up from the minors. And so was uh, uh, on defense. And that's where it all starts most of the time is your D, uh, who's the coach in LA with the mullet there? What's his name? Oh, Barry Melrose. Yeah, Barry. So oh, Barry, Barry Melrose. Yeah. yeah. So, so we had a, Cyprus. So we we had some, uh, you know, we, we we got better and we we did better. You know, as the years went on, now you know, I things go differently and Tommy comes in, but Tommy came in, I think, not as so good time as I came in. So it was two different times that uh, we came in. He came in about four years later than I did, and it was going downhill at that point. It wasn't going uphill. It's Cyrus, by the way, but Don Cherry used to call him Cyprus. Now, uh, Tommy, where were you the day you got traded, and how did that news come across to you? Now, Squid, uh, we know where you were. You were Squid's is a good story because he wow. was um, he was busy cleaning up beer bottles from the party from the night before, and Harry Neal was waiting for him in the lobby of his hotel or his apartment. So, <laughs> can you top yeah, that we one? We didn't have an apartment. We, we didn't have an apartment. Uh, Gary Lupel and I. Uh, we're rooming together, but I lived with Glen Hanlon and Burnaby because our apartment wasn't going to be ready until February. Okay. And it was, it was in the apartment building next door to Harry Neal's. And uh, we had a little apartment warming party the night before. And uh, the next day, my phone was ringing by the bed and it wasn't even connected yet. But I guess when you press the buzzer at the front door, the phone rings and then you got to press a button on the phone to let the person in. Well, I failed to do that twice. The third time, Harry said, just come downstairs. But by then, I had already cleaned up all the beer bottle, empty beer bottles and liquor bottles and everything else. And I just, we were just throwing them in cupboards to get rid of them so that he, that he wouldn't see them. And then he, that was like 6.30 or quarter to 7 in the morning. And then he, I went downstairs. He said, uh, we just traded in Trump. And I had a 1 o'clock flight I had to catch. Tommy, you. Mine was, uh, it was a Thursday, I believe, and I had gone, uh, gone a little crazy after practice, and I asked to be traded, so I knew it was coming, because I was wearing a sweater that wasn't even in the color sphere in this world the next day at practice, so I knew it was coming, and Harry made the trade, and, and I think we played the Leafs that night. In Boston, then I was traded that sat that night or Saturday morning, and I played Saturday night in Maple Leaf Gardens. But I, I was ready. I wanted. I was two years. I had a negotiation deal, and he never gave me a. I mean, the average the average years was four point two, and I was in my fifth year, and I had never got a raise. So, you know, if you're not going to make money, then when are you going to make it? So uh, that was my story. I was gone and gone out of there quickly. Now you were traded for a 
fairly popular player, a friend of uh, 22's, uh, Billy Drelago, who I think uh, it's known a little bit, and Rick will probably back me up in this story, that they were sort of pushing him a little more to spend his summers with a bar on his back, <laughs> meaning a squat bar as opposed to leaning against a bar. And uh, Billy kind of took the uh, ladder and, um, you know, and lo and behold, after scoring a couple of goals, I think they played in exhibition games against you guys. He scored a couple of goals and was traded. And he couldn't figure out why. So yeah, you I, want to replace him. How was that? And how did uh, 22 treat you when you walked in the door? Oh, I, I don't, you know, it is what it is. It's business. I, I knew getting here that, and after I met Billy, I knew he was well-liked. I knew he was, I mean, Billy's a great guy. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. But I think that that was the downfall because you were on a team that you got away with maybe things you shouldn't do. We all did it. Maybe he got caught a little more. But we all did it. When you went to Boston, Harry, Harry wasn't going for any of that stuff, right? But, no, I knew he was popular, but it was a good, for me, it was a good time to get traded. Probably Billy wasn't probably overly excited about it, but, hey, that's the way it goes. Now, we do, uh, we did talk, touch on this. I mean, there was, a, I don't know if you guys were or not, but you guys, there was an 11-year span, that 11-year span between 79 and 90, and 91, I guess you would call it, 90-91. Toronto went through 10 coaches, five GMs. And I, I couldn't even count the number of players that went through those rosters over the years. You three guys were all teammates for two years playing under Dan Maloney and John Brophy. Not exactly mild-tempered guys. Danny, let's start with you on this one. What was the experience of playing under those two? Well, I had John in, uh, in uh, Nova Scotia. So I had him there for my last year. So, I mean, coaches that I've had, I mean, I had uh, Bert Templeton, who was a pretty yeah. hard-nosed coach in the, uh, in the OHL. Then I had John Brophy as a coach. Then you get Dan Maloney. Then you get to Mike Nicolek, and he's a lamb. <laughs> he was a lamb compared to these two guys, uh, or three guys, right? So it's like, yeah, at the end of the day, I, at the end of the day, I've always said, like, you're there for a reason. You know what you've done to get there. So no matter what coaches you have, I mean, whether it's Dan Maloney, John Brophy, I mean, John, basically, uh, listen, when you lose 7-2 or 9-2 in Los Angeles and all you do for one hour at your practice rink is skate one way uh, hard between red, blue line to blue line and then guy glide all the way around for half an hour and then you do the same thing going the other way, that just tells you what we had as coaching is for, you know, and, and John was a great guy. I mean, you sat with him at, uh, at dinner you know, before night before games, all the stories, you know, he give you the shirt off his back. It's just, it was a Jekyll and Hyde when he got in the dressing room door open and closed behind him. It was a totally different person. Uh, so that's what we touched before about not having management or coaches uh, to be able to be successful. I think that was one of our downfalls here in Toronto in the eighties. Well, you and Rick both played for him twice. So, I mean, I, any, any story that comes to mind with him, do you just chuckle over that, uh, you know, this guy was uh, like, just the theatrics that would go on sometimes with him? Well, we, uh, yeah, uh, we had, I mean, we had the one in LA, which was caught on TV. I mean, uh, I mean, um, he spent a lot of money on his suits and he had a uh, kind of a silvery suit that night in, in, in uh, Los Angeles. And I think we were down seven, two after the second period. So uh, we have to walk all the way around the long way to get onto the, to the rinks instead of coming out by our benches. It didn't exist at the time, but he went underneath. 
instead of going around, he went underneath the seat. And I guess he came up a little too fast and kind of hit his head and must have punctured a little vein in their head. And we're skating around and half his head was red. And we're, we're saying, what the heck is going on here, right? We're looking at him and saying, bro, I think your head's bleeding. And after he just kind of shit all over us for, you know, 20 minutes in the dressing room, he's yelling some profanity on the bench to get away from him, leave him alone, you know, that kind of stuff. The, the trainer threw him a towel and said, I don't need this effing towel and get out of my face type thing. And uh, so that's one of the stories. There's a lot of other stories, but uh, that was a clean one. <laughs> Tommy, what about you? Well, I, I got there with uh, Dan Maloney. Yeah. And I thought he was good, and I thought he got better as the season went on. And I think if you look at the 80s, from coaching to players, they always seem to let the wrong guys go. You go from goaltending to some of the players we got in and what we let go, the trading was all – so it was almost the same with the coaches. We bring in – we had Maloney. I thought he was getting better as the season went on. We, I, I forget how we finished – but I thought he was definitely getting better. I thought it was a little shaky at the beginning. And then we bring in Brove, which, again, the same as Duke. I like Brove. I thought he was funny. But he was way, way, way out of his league coaching in the National Hockey We did. I don't think we had a system except get it off the glass. And it was always interesting to me because I was a centerman that didn't visit the corners very often. I was wondering how I was going to get the puck to be able to do anything. So I didn't. Again, I liked him as a person, but coaching-wise, not the place for him to coach, not in Toronto. I know I know, this is going to be the one thing that Mr. Vive is not going to agree with. He's looking at me, he's aching to have something to say here. But, <laughs> and as far as the other coaches, yeah, we did have some dingbats. We, we did. <laughs> we really did, well, for lack of better word. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> I, I, I'm not going to disagree with you, Tom, because uh, I love Brof. Uh, I really did. I, I had him in Birmingham and uh, again in Toronto. What I, when I look at Brof, I look at a guy that if he had come into the National Hockey League in the early 70s, I think he would have had more success because systems weren't really part of the game back then. And Brof was more of a motivating type coach and uh, – you know, a hard ass and, and that sort of thing, you know, but I, I love the guy. I, I Broth wanted you to give him a hundred percent at whatever type of game was your game. Uh, I know there were guys that thought that perhaps he, he wanted them to become tough guys and so on, which I, it was totally false. He just wanted you to give him a hundred percent at whatever type of game you played. Um, but Unfortunately, systems and everything else were coming into play when he came into the league. I think if he comes in 12, 15 years earlier, I think he has more success. I really do. Well, yeah, it was, uh, those were certainly trying times. You guys at least got to go in the ice to, to play. We had to sit in the stands and watch it and, uh, you know, and read about it every day with all the theatrics going on around those hockey clubs. Now, boys, uh, you did, there were some good times, obviously. Now, who are some of the characters, Danny? Let's go back. Some of the characters that you played with on some of those teams. Now, Squid told a story last week on the podcast about Paul Higgins. I mean, this is a pretty tough one to top, but there's a kid coming to camp and he forgot his skates at the cottage. <laughs> I, 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 I can see that with Paul, but I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't, I mean, the guys that were there, I mean, uh, 
I can't really remember guys. I mean, like I said, we were kind of, kind of young there. Like, like the Jim Bennings and the Gary Nylans, uh, the Russ Cornells. I mean, Russ Cornell was always, uh, you know, boisterous. He's always go, go, go. Young guys in Toronto, you know, play a pretty good place to play in Toronto when you're young. Uh, but uh, otherwise, I don't, you know, I mean, I was one of the guys that maybe try to live it up a bit by, you know, doing some different things to the guys when they're showering and creams and powder and, uh, you know, and blowers and stuff oh, like that. Give, give us one of your, give me somebody who you got a good prank on one time. Well, it's just, what's that? <laughs> well, Harold. the one that you mentioned, the, the baby powder in the hair dryer. I don't know if it was you or who it was, but somebody did it. And of course, Harold had a shower. He came in and he's blowing his hair and there's white going everywhere. And he, he actually laughed and thought it was pretty funny. I mean, I might have did it, but just nobody grabbed the right one after the shower. That's all. So he, got, he, he was lucky type thing, you know. But, no, uh, you know, we just try to have fun in there. And, I mean, uh, uh, when John Cordick, you know, we traded for him, I mean, he was uh, in the dressing room. He was, I had a few uh, squabbles with him type thing over the TV control. <laughs> you know, like Johnny would come in and change channels. Uh, while we're all, you know, whether we're watching prices right, whatever it was after practice, before practice, and he'd come in and just change the channel. And then he'd kind of put the clicker down and go sit down. I'd get up and click it. Then he'd come back, click it. Then I just stood there one time and he came at me and I just jumped on him. <laughs> so we rolled to the floor, but I knew there's going to be 19 guys helping me out anyways. So it wasn't that bad. <laughs> hey, well, speak well, speaking on that. Hey, uh, speaking of trades. Pardon me? <laughs> speaking of trades. <laughs> Yeah, you, guys, you guys lived through that. Oh. Uh, that was a sad, sad case. I mean, uh, Tommy, you want to touch on that? I mean, that whole Cordic situation with Cortnell and then he comes in here and all the stuff that happened to the, I mean, was he, was he as really a bad a case off the ice as it appeared? You know what, John was a, was a really good guy one-on-one. -on -one. If there was a group, he always had to sort of do or say something stupid just to get noticed. I mean, it was a shame he was a shame, but the, the thing with the hockey back then, we did no research into Cordick when we made the trade. We really needed a guy like Cordick, but we didn't need his behavior that was always offbeat. But at the time, we did need some toughness. I don't know if we trade Cordell for it, but that's the kind of trades we made that put us in that problem. But I do have one story that's sort of off the – beaten track. I was in Boston and uh, I, I was in my second or whatever year. And I think it was the year the Leafs had all those young defensemen. So we played in, we, in Boston and I remember calling my mom and I was all upset. I didn't get on the ice much. So she was sort of, she looked on the other end of the phone and she goes, you couldn't play in Toronto. <laughs> <laughs> so a year later, I'm on the lease. She just was like, I can't believe you're on the lease. <laughs> <laughs> Don't hold for me to wish for. I, I, will, I, I will say one thing, and I can't remember what year it was. It was when Freacher, Inachek, and all those guys, uh, Duras, Slava Duras, and those guys all came over. That was the year that Harold slapped the flight attendant's hand on, on our charter. Uh, because she wouldn't let him have any chocolate bars. So we flew commercial the rest of the year. So we, we stayed overnight after every road game, and we started going out together, and, and those guys started going out, and she started kind of hanging out together. 
And I think we started to get to know one another. And I think there was more trust in when we got on the ice. And I think we were the fifth best team in the league in the second half of the season after he canceled those charters. So the next year, we probably should have flew commercial all year, but no, we went back to the charters. No, but isn't that when he cut the per diems out on you guys to save money? Well, what happened was, it? was we, usually, we usually left at like 7.35, I think it was, was a cutoff of yeah. 7.30. Yeah. And he didn't have to pay us half a day meal money. Uh, so... And I went to him and I said, look, Harold, uh, we're willing to leave at three or four to get there at a decent hour. Because a lot of times it was delays too, weather delays or whatever it might be. And I said, so we can get in at a decent time and go and have a nice meal the night before a game. And you don't have to pay us the per diem. So he went along with it and uh, we started leaving earlier. And then I think it was maybe a year or two later, then he, the – I don't know whether the league made him or he just decided that he was going to pay us that extra per diem. But, uh, but it was good that he did it. But, but I had to tell him that we weren't going to ask for the per diem. Well, there was hey, there was that story years later that all the guys, about half the team was bitching about their per diems. You know what that was? I was taking it all from them in the card games on the plane. <laughs> oh, come on. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Can you believe that, dude? No, nope, not at all. I, I know he plays cards. He wins nothing. Hey, the worst part of those the worst part of those road trips were me and Du were roomies and we used to play Scrabble. And I'd lose to a, a French guy. He didn't even know the English words and I was losing to him. That's why I thought going back to school was a good thing to do. Now speak about that, you two guys as roommates. Uh Give me, give me, uh, give us a couple of stories on your roomie there. Well, here I got one, dude. Before dude takes it from me, so we're we're pissed off for lack of better words. I mean, we're. I mean, it seemed everyone got along good for the amount of stuff that was going on. So one night, Brove calls a curfew at like ten o'clock. Bory is sort of laughing. He goes, "My kids are out longer than he's letting us." So, so me and Dew are sitting in the middle. You know, the little table, we got the uh, bat, we got the uh, Scrabble game going on the door. I look at Dew, I'm not fucking answering it. He looks at me, me neither. Rolls out there for about 20 minutes, smiling the door. He hears us in there, but neither of us are getting the door. <laughs> and he didn't bench us. We were hoping to get benched. Yeah, no. Yeah, we just didn't answer the door on that one. Too bad. <laughs> oh, Danny, what about your roommate? You got a story no, on your roommate? What? Like I was saying earlier on before, is that uh, when you have some roommates at times, you may have somebody who, I, I'm a big, maybe not now because I'm older, but you know, my, my 20s, I stay up till three o'clock in the morning, I watch TV, and that's just how I was. So when Tom came, uh, they decided, because usually you change roommates. A lot of times, I think my first year we changed, I think I think I had Ricky, I think when the first games we played in Montreal, Ricky was my roommate, and uh, then, you know, every road trip you had and, somebody. And then Danny. Danny took me out and showed me all the hot spots. In oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, all I know is I was in before you. <laughs> uh, More than uh, likely, yeah. I was a rookie. I was a rookie, so I was in before you. Uh, but, you know, like, uh, after a while, we basically asked if we could have the same roommates. And uh, Tom and I became roommates for five years. And, uh, <laughs> I mean, we just, we, we loved it. I mean, we got to be good friends. And, uh, you know, we... Uh, like I said, I'd watch TV. He'd, he'd, he'd 
get to bed with his socks on and his hoodie and cross his arms, he'd fall asleep. That's how he slept all the time. It didn't matter. Uh, you know, just play jokes at each other. Uh, you go to Chicago and what hotel did we say in Chicago? The Drake? The Drake. The Marriott. No, oh, the Drake after the Marriott couldn't get us in. Yeah, and then, you know, we're, we're, we're into oh, our rooms right. and uh, we each got our own bathrooms. We're across the hall. We'd be talking to each other on the phone. <laughs> we got the, the phones and talking to each other while we're on the throne. <laughs> Sorry, guys, but that's the way it is. That's what you do when you go on the road. <laughs> There's not much to do. <laughs> so you, yeah. try to, you, know, you try to get the time going and that kind of stuff and wait till your next game. But hey, always, Tommy was a great roommate. Uh, it was better than just having single different guy all the time. So you get to know somebody for good and we become good friends. Our wives are good friends. As a matter of fact, our wives were just on the Zoom call themselves uh, doing something. So uh, it was good. It's great. Now, listen, uh, you guys got a chance to play with uh, one of the great Maple Leafs of all time, Boris Salming. Tommy, what was that? Uh, what was your impression playing with the King? Yeah, he was he was just a great player. But his, uh, no matter what happened the night before or anything, you could always skate like the wind. And, you know, he was a really he was a really good guy, great guy, and he just always seemed to be the same. He played well all the time. Can't imagine the pressure he was under before I got here when they started with those four rookie defensemen. And he never complained. I don't think Borea ever heard him. I don't think to this day I've ever heard him complain about anything. And some of the things he went through, he's a guy in those years, if he played somewhere else, you wonder what he could have done. Because you you play in the National Hockey League with five young, four of them are kids out of junior. It's just not a position you do that, but the Leafs did it on Borea. So I had a great time playing with him. He was a great guy, and and he was a great player. And it's good to see him in the Hall of Fame. Do you? Yeah, no, with me, I, I kind of have, when, you, when, you, when, you, when you're a kid growing up, there's two stories that I can go with. So uh, one of the ones is when I was in Montreal, uh, when I lived up in uh, Kirkland Lake, I went to Rouen Aranda to hockey school, and one of my instructors was Rijan Houle. And then when I got to Montreal, well, Rijan Houle was my line mate. So it goes a long way from all of a sudden you're 12 years old going to hockey school while he's teaching you, and then all of a sudden you're his line mate in Montreal. So that's one of the stories. The other one is when I came to, I got traded to Toronto. So as a kid, I was always, I would always send NHL players, not all, but I mean, I'd send players asking for their autographs, like people do to us today, right? So all of a sudden I go to Toronto and I, you know, a few months in, I called my mom. I said, hey, can you go into my uh, dresser drawer and, 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 uh, and get that picture and send it to me? So she sends me the picture. So I, I, walked to, I walk up to Boria, I said, Boria, do you remember sending me this picture way back when? <laughs> so he says, well, I guess I messed up because you got it in your hand. <laughs> so, you know, just, that's one of the stories. But with Borea, like, like Tommy said, I mean, uh, always gave 125%. Always, 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 always. I mean, he, like Tommy says, he never complained. Uh, the big thing about Borea, he's always sick all the time. I mean, when we walked into the leave dressing room, he sat. So when you walked in our room, the one door, and then we have a big stretching room, I guess you want to call it, and the coach's room on this side. And you had a double doors that opened up. And Borea would sit right against that wall when you walked in. So all the draft came all the time. Like Borea always had towels around him the whole bit. But he was always sick that they moved him. They said, you got to move. You got to go over here. You can't stay in front of this door all the time. You got to go over here. So he wasn't too happy about that, but he did. Uh, but to, but I was, I'm grateful that, like I said, I played with, with some great players. 
uh, whether it was like Lafleur and Shud and uh, Robinson, and I came to Toronto. You play with Boria. I'll say even Ricky, great player. You know, scored 50 goals three years in a row type thing. You know, so I mean, I had a lot of respect for Boria, and uh, and then when he went and got his 252 stitches in his face, <laughs> I mean, and then you know he just comes back and plays like nothing ever happened. And uh, you know, he was a warrior. He was a true warrior. Now, speaking of which, along those lines, what about when that kid from Kelvington showed up with the funny first name, yeah. Wendell Clark? Yeah. Talk about well, him. I mean, Wendell's Wendell. I mean, you know, he, again, he came in, and uh, I think he was taking a look at his picture. He had the mullet coming in and the whole thing. And, uh, I mean, nobody really knew anything about Wendell. Uh, I mean, I never knew. Um, yeah, you can play. He was supposed to be a defenseman. He gets a forward. And just the way he handles himself and goes out there and fights the biggest guys you can find instead of fighting the little guys, uh, you know, he made himself a name for where he is today. And I mean, uh, he was a good player, uh, worked hard, uh, didn't take no crap from anybody. And when it was time to wake up somebody, wake up the team, he would do it with a big hit. Now, Tommy, uh, when you saw him come in, now you touched on this before with all these young kids coming in and watching what was happening. When you saw Clark come in, what was your initial impression from you? Like thinking, here we go again. Is this kid well, going to go ready? It was, it, was er, it was early. It was early. I didn't know. I had the same with you. I had no, I'd never even heard his name before. So I didn't know who he was. But he got into a couple of tussles with Ben Wilson early on and a couple of fights. And I'm like, who is this? This kid's crazy. Because <laughs> right? I had just come from Boston with Stan Jonathan and O'Reilly. And this young kid would take on anybody, anytime, anywhere, but he wasn't a dirty hockey player. He played up and down the wing. He'd hit. He'd do whatever it took to do what he had to do. But when he fought, he was a tough hombre, very tough. Like, I hadn't seen anybody throw punches. He really tried to kill people. And he's, he's actually the same he is today as he was then, just a little richer, I'd say. <laughs> <laughs> what about you when you saw him? Well, I actually knew a little bit about Wendell because I, I, I knew that we were going to probably have a very high pick. I watched the World Juniors to see, you know, the guys that they were talking about and everything for the draft. And Wendell apparently made the team only if, if he was going to play forward. Uh, he was a defenseman in Saskatoon, but they said the only way you're going to make this team is if you play forward. So, I remember watching it and watching him, you know, play that physical game, even in the world juniors uh, against the Russians, the Swedes and so on. And I kind of loved it. I, I thought, you know, this kid, he's going to be able to play in this league and uh, he's going to do it pretty quickly too. And uh, because he's not afraid to do anything, he's not afraid to go from defense to forward. My only thing that I ever thought about Wendell was I thought maybe if he had a state on defense, uh, he probably could have been a, a Norris Trophy winner because he would have got so much room because of the way he played. And imagine him as a physical guy back on the on the back end and with that that wrist shot from the point on the power play or something. But you know that never happened. But he did become a great left winger. And uh, but boy, I'll tell you, Tom said it. I couldn't believe when him and Ben Wilson squared off. I think it was right in front of our bench. And they're just taking turns throwing haymakers one after another. One guy would throw it, then the next guy. And he went toe-to-toe -to -toe with Ben. And Ben was one of the toughest guys in the league at the time. And after that, I went, okay. I mean, this kid's really, really yeah. tough. And uh, 
and he took on the toughest guys in the league. He didn't go to the second class. He went to the top. Yeah, and, but and, and <laughs> didn't Adam, bother him at all. If you think about it, what National Hockey League team brings in a first overall pick and changes his position? Like, I agree with Squid. He had a great career at left wing, but he might have been a – he yeah. might have been an unbelievable defenseman, and then we were lucky enough to do it again with Gary Lehman. We pick in the second round. He's a defenseman. We put him on right wing. So you don't even give him a chance to play D. And I, I think that there's another guy who would have been a great defenseman. Mm-hmm. Would have been the D we were always looking for. Yeah, that's good. But And then you try to do that to Ian White a number of years later. Remember, they moved him up on the wing from defense. Did the same thing to him, too. Seemed but uh, but the problem is they didn't really give them a chance to fail or prosper on D. They moved them up pretty well. I never, never remember seeing them ever play defense ever. Yeah. So, well, boys, it's been, uh, it's been fun talking to you guys. Um, I just want to wrap up here with a couple of things. Once you guys left the Leafs, and I got you, Tommy, on the screen here, so I might as well go with you. You played in Europe. So how was that experience, like coming from the national, going from Boston to Toronto, and then you're going, you went to Vancouver, but then you went to Europe at the end of your career. What was that adjustment like? Uh, I don't know if it was an adjustment. It was 30, (laughs) I think we played 36 games. But as I look back, the very best thing I ever did. And when I first got back to get a real job, I used to tell everybody, go for a year or two. Go! Oh, it's the best experience you'll ever have. And I was lucky enough to have some decent teams, you know, because they do put a lot of heat on the import guys. I played with Kenny Uremchuk there. That, they probably put a little too much heat on imports because you really need the team to win. But we had a lot of good Swiss guys. And when I look back, I, even with my wife, I said it's the best thing we ever did. Danny? Listen, Mike, in reality, the real reason he went to Europe to Switzerland is to follow me. He missed Pretty me. Game. So he, he missed me, so he had to come to Switzerland. He was too far away from me. <laughs> no, I mean, listen. I, 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 I thought it. Do I? I thought it was because they only played thirty some games. That's probably yeah, the yeah, reason yeah, he went. Yeah, no, but I, I, I don't know if I want to play thirty six games and practice two thousand and thirty six oh, times yeah. either, because that's what we did over there, right? So. But, uh, you know, I left on my own accord. I mean, I, I was 30 years old when I went over there, and uh, I had a chance to sign with the Leafs. They wanted to offer me one year. I wanted two years, uh, and they decided two years wasn't good. So I said, okay, I've got to go over there and see. At one point, you know, I, I wasn't playing much with the Leafs anymore. At the end, it based on penalty killing, and uh, I made it be in the press box a couple of times or whatever. So it's just – Hockey, I wanted hockey to be fun for me still. At 30 years old, you're not done playing, so it wasn't fun here anymore. So that's why I decided to go over there, knowing that as an import, you're going to play 40 or 60 minutes. Especially, I won the B League. Tommy won the A League. Uh, in the B League, uh, the players, Swiss players, are not as good as in the A League, so you get more support there. So you're on the ice 40 out of 60 minutes, basically. Uh, and, you know, you, you love before it comes back because you're playing a lot, you know, and uh, I was there seven years. You're making good money. You're making good money, too. <laughs> uh, well, you know, I, yeah, you're making decent money for 36 games, I guess. But like I said, you're practicing every day. You're, we, I had a lot of fun. Uh, you know, I mean, yeah, do you have pressure on you? Sure, you got a little pressure on there as well uh, because if you don't do that well, uh, you know, they bring somebody else in. And that's where I went my first year. A little town called Ajwa, there's 6,000 people. And 
if you do what happens over there, it's like it's about 45 minutes off the Autobahn. So the car is going like this. I know my wife got sick when I picked her up in the airport the first time, basically trying to drive through there. But no players want to go in that little town. So they, they pay a lot of money to bad A-league players. So when you start losing, then the fans don't like it. So did I have a good season for my first year? I thought I did, but I guess it wasn't good enough. So they changed me. So I went to a couple other teams before I found a niche in Turgal where I played my last five years uh, with a B-league team. But uh, all in all, it was, it, was, it was good for me to go over. The family was there for six out of seven years. So we had a lot of fun. Anything as a wrap-up, you guys? See, I, see I, you know, I would have saw that differently. I would have said B-League and A-League doing the, the A-League and Fergie and the B-League were... Hey, I wouldn't have mentioned it. I don't know why he did. We were both in Switzerland. <laughs> <laughs> Anything you want to leave us with, boys, before we cut wrap this up? Donnie, uh, thanks for having me on. It's always good. Good luck to the uh, show. You'll probably get rave reviews with me and Duan. We don't do a lot of things publicly together. Oh, no question. No question. <laughs> thanks a lot, guys. No, hey, hey, thanks, Tommy. Sure. Thank you, too, guys, for, for doing this. It's, uh, it's a lot of fun, and uh, thanks for having us on. Okay, boys, thanks for joining well, us. I, I thought it would be great because they're such good teammates, and uh, they were – they're well – they're joined at the hip, basically, both of them. So <laughs> I thought it'd be great to have them both on together. And, and they were. They were good. Hear some of the, some of the stories that they shared together. They yeah, I, think, I think Judy gets a few, just a few more phone calls than I do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't make me go to that story and finish it off. <laughs> yeah. Well, go ahead. Well, you got the floor. Go ahead, Tommy. When we first started rooming, so I'm calling <laughs> the wife every... Some people would say every day, I'm going to go with every second day. Oh, so yeah. we're two weeks into the road trip, I go, well, how's Julie doing? He goes, how would I know? I go, do you ever call her? He goes, no, she knows where I'm at. <laughs> that's, what I, that's what I said. Mike. I said, we'd be on for a week. I said, Tommy, and Tommy says every second day. That, now, that's false. Because if you know Tommy, it's every 15 minutes he talks to her here now every day. So he was at least twice a day talking to her. So he says, don't you phone Julie? I said, why would I phone Julie? Well, maybe, you know, she wants to know what you're doing. She knows, I, she knows what I'm doing. I'm playing in Winnipeg tomorrow. We're playing in Calgary the day after. I said, she knows where I am. If she needs me, she can call me. <laughs> she knows where I am. That, that was the best. I like. But I changed him. He started to call at least once every couple of days. Yeah. <laughs> well, Tommy, I know you talk to her a lot these days, because, but it's business now, so that's a little bit different, right? And, all right, guys. Well, it's been an entertaining uh, hour speaking to a couple ex-teammates of uh, Ricky's, uh, Danny Dao and Tommy Fergus. want to thank them for joining us and sharing some of the insights to playing with the Toronto Maple Leafs, some very interesting things we found out. So again, we're all looking forward to next week's show. We're going to have Dave Hansen on from the Hansen Brothers, uh, famous for Slapshot, but also I think more famous playing in WHA and some of the assassins that he played with uh, back in the time. And Rick going to be able to kick in on that one. So we want to thank you guys for joining us. We want to thank the guys at the Hockey News, uh, our supporters, and uh, we'll talk to you again next week, you guys.